0: Let us pray. Gracious God, still our minds and open our hearts so that we will hear your word in fresh new ways. Help us to be renewed and challenged by your message for us today. Amen. The first scripture reading is Psalm 130 on page 573 in the Pew Bible, if you would like to follow along. Out of the depths I cry to thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thy ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If thou, O Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayst be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plenteous redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: So, our second scripture reading for the sermon today is one from 2 Samuel, and I'll read it and then I have a comment. Well, I have several comments, but anyway. 2 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1, and then verses 17 through 27. After the death of Saul, when David had returned from defeating the Amalekites, David remained two days in Ziklag. David intoned this lamentation over Saul and his son Jonathan. He ordered that the song of the bow be taught to the people of Judah. It is written in the book of Yashar. He said, Your glory, O Israel, lies slain upon your high places. How the mighty have fallen! Tell it not in Gat, proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon, or the daughters of the Philistines will rejoice the daughters of the uncircumcised will exult. You mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew or rain upon you, nor bounteous fields, for there the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Saul, anointed with oil no more. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, nor the sword of Saul return empty. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely, in life and death they were not divided, Sorry, I lost my place. Oh my gosh, they were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you with crimson in luxury, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan lies slain upon your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Greatly beloved were you to me. Your love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen, and the weapons of war perished. This is the word of the Lord. So as a guest, when you come into a church that is not your own, and you're invited to preach on a scripture, you hope for one that is uh, very obviously hopeful or one that is one that you can really just sort of safely encourage the congregation and Seth called and he said you're gonna preach on the lament of David over the deaths of Saul and Jonathan and I said why <laughs> and he said well we preached through electionary and so that's how the roll of the dice went for you uh, and uh, at first it was a little nerve wracking but uh, I think there is something here for us all this morning uh, indeed as we go through uh, if, if you know the history or at least a little bit of the context of what's what's happening at the time of David uh, composing this lament uh, his king Israel's king Saul has been killed in battle uh, if you read the chapter just before 2nd Samuel 1 1st Samuel 30 you'll see the account of Saul and his sons and the many men who were important and significant to leading in these battles were all slain and David uh, receives the news of this and in the verses that we skipped David leads the people of Israel in their grief over losing uh, their king and the, the heir the presumptive heir to the throne and so many who were their leaders and then we get to verses 17 through 27 which we just read which is a possibly a song or a poem or just an outcry of David's heart. It's his personal grief expressed in this lament. We see a few things that I'd like to highlight for us as we go through and ask. And before we get to the question, so what? So what for us? Why would God have us read this this morning? Let's look a little bit about uh, at a little bit about the the passage itself. In verse nineteen. David says that Saul and Jonathan they were slain upon the high places this means that this is that the high places in battle are where the leaders of the battle would be so that they could see the full vantage point uh... so that they would be safe and protected from the frontline attacks of the opposition uh... it wouldn't be expected that somebody in the high place could be reached could be breached and could be killed and so that Saul is where David would not have expected him to fall in battle. Where royalty is, is not where death would ordinarily come. And so already David is in shock that this is where Saul and Jonathan would die. He also says for the first time of three times, how the mighty have fallen. Now, I don't know about you, I, I, I've heard that phrase used a little bit sarcastically, I think, in culture. Of, you know, the, somebody, some actor that you don't like gets canceled and you say, oh, how the mighty have fallen. Or a politician gets voted out or, or what have you, and you kind of say it triumphantly. Uh, and with a little bit of mocking to it, um, or at least that's how I've heard it. I don't know about you, but here, David, this is uh, this is an expression of disbelief. He believes that there is none mightier, that he believes there is none more impenetrable, no one who could be defeated uh, more than Saul or undefe- uh, You know what I mean? So he says, how the mighty have fallen. Other translations say, how are the mighty fallen? This is probably better at expressing his shock and his disbelief, his dumbfoundedness at what has happened. How are the mighty fallen? He says this three times and for the first time in verse 19. And as we go through this, I'd love for us to try to remember how David is feeling as he receives this news. He's expecting a report that we have been victorious yet again that Saul and Jonathan and the other men, as, as they complete their task, they will return home triumphant. And instead he receives this news, you have lost these men who are the most important to you. In fact, Israel, your people have lost their king. That's how David is feeling. He's in disbelief, he's dumbfounded, he's devastated. In verse 20, something that's interesting, he says, tell it not in Gat, proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon. This, what does that mean? We don't know these towns. Uh, These two towns would be be sort of hyperbolically used to include all of Philistines. So think of it this way, if we were to lose a great battle here in Bellingham, Washington, and we were in our lament, and our captors and our oppressors were coming from outside of the Northwest, they were coming from, let's say, Florida, we would say, tell it not in Seattle, proclaim it not in the streets of Spokane, because to anyone outside of the Northwest, those are the only two cities that exist in Washington. And so they would understand that that would mean that the daughters of the Washingtonians will rejoice, uh, right? So tell it not in Seattle, proclaim it not in the streets of Spokane. In verse 21, David actually in his lament, he curses the land uh, where Saul and Jonathan are slain. Remember the the hills of Galboa. He says, uh, let there be no dew or rain upon you. He is hoping that God will curse the land where this thing that should so displease God has happened. That's how deep in his soul his grief goes. It's not just that an awful thing has happened, but it provokes and invokes in him this reflex to say, God, curse this land where this cursed thing has happened. It's interesting in verse 21, and I wonder if some of us can relate to this, that in his grief, what he has lost is Saul in this moment. But he can't even bring himself yet four, five verses in to his lament. He hasn't even said Saul's name yet. And when he does say Saul's name, he doesn't express the full grief of losing Saul. He has to create a symbol in the lament to represent Saul. So he says that the seal, shield of Saul is now defiled. He says the shield of Saul is no longer anointed with oil. His love for Saul and the extent of his grief are combining in this moment to not even be able to bring himself to the reality that it was Saul himself who is no longer anointed. It is Saul himself who has been defiled. And I wonder if there's some of us at some times when we have come upon times of great loss and moments of great strain that we can't even bring ourselves in those high point flooded moments of grief to even name the thing that we are distressed about. David is with us in that. In verse 26, he expresses his his feelings of loss over Jonathan, and he says, I am distressed. I am distressed over his loss of Jonathan. In other translations, it says, I grieve for you, Jonathan. In other translations still, it says, I weep for you, Jonathan. Here in 10 verses, we see the outpouring of a man's heart who has lost everything he is somebody who is expressing this on his own behalf but also indeed on behalf of his people of israel something he would have never expected to happen has happened and now in his loss in his disbelief in his dumbfounded and devastated state he is distressed he is afraid to say the name of the thing that he has lost he is grieving and he is weeping he's experienced unimaginable loss he expresses it both on his own behalf and on the behalf of Israel uh, who've lost their King, their presumptive heir, their other leaders. And what's happened in that is that they don't just lose a symbol of leadership. They don't just lose a symbol of what God wants for them and their people, but what they lose actually affects their day to day life. They lose in Saul and in Jonathan and in the others, they lose what gives them a sense of order, a sense of consistency, a, a sense of structure, of expectations, far more than symbolism, they lose what would have given them hope for the future. In the study of this lament, uh, as I was preparing over the last few weeks uh, and, and, I'm, and I'm reading this and I'm rereading this and I'm praying on this and I'm, I'm asking scholars who are much smarter than me through their commentaries what this all means I was met as I usually am uh, by the prophetic wisdom of Walter Brueggemann and he gave us this comment about this lament he says this I submit that this poem is a useful model for public grief among us we have nearly lost our capacity for such grief we are characteristically so busy with power so bent on continuity So mesmerized by our ideologies of control that we will not entertain a hiatus in our control of life to allow for grief. Such grief, for a moment, does require a relinquishment of control. Brueggemann, in this thought, which probably came very easily to him, but blows my mind, takes us from the what of what this lament is, I believe, into the so what for those of us who are reading it today. Because I know as much as any of us are tired of hearing about it, thinking about it, and talking about it, in the last 15 months, we collectively and many of us individually have experienced unexpected, unimaginable, unbelievable loss. As a world, as a society, as a community, as a city, as a church, as a friend group, as a family, as a person, we are all Carrying varying levels of distress and as we relate to our friend David who gives us this lament to lead us with this morning I'll ask you to consider and reflect today on two questions The first one is this What have we lost? We haven't lost our king and his son and the presumptive leaders of our nation and our faith But isn't what we lost just as significant to us? Haven't we also lost that which represents our order, our consistency, our structure, our expectations, how we know how to live in the world in a way that allows for hope for the future? Haven't we lost much of the same? Haven't what we experienced as a community distressed us, brought us to grief, brought us to weeping, brought us to depression, On a large scale we could name all of the obvious usual suspects. The children and the families in our school districts have lost tremendous experience, tremendous uh, movement that they were expecting that was giving us expectation and order and structure and hope for what life would and could be like. We have lost that over the last 15 months and we are yet to fully regain it. Many of us have lost our livelihoods in our communities around us. We've lost our opportunities to work. We've lost our businesses. We've lost opportunities to earn. The the nature in which we've had to work has had to dramatically change, and for many of us that means the burden on the business has become so much that the payment of employees has become out of question. There is tremendous loss on our families in our inability to spend the quality time that we ordinarily would have in the last 15 months. We have lost the opportunity to make those memories with our loved ones before we or they are gone from us. And in a real sense, many of us have lost real people in our lives as a result of the pandemic. There are those among us, we could raise our hands if we wanted to, but we, we don't need to do that, who have lost loved ones, who have lost acquaintances, who have lost co-workers, who have lost neighbors, who have lost friends of friends and have bared the grief with them of people who have lost their actual lives. This is not a small thing to lament for. This is not something that we can just say, well, this is just a historical moment and it will pass. It is right for us to be distressed. It is right for us to be grieved. It is right for us to weep. It is right for us to lament. There are some things that might seem trivial that we have lost. And, and, and I, I made a joke early, uh, about, probably about a year ago. I says, "You know, I'm, in retrospect, I, I think I probably should have developed more hobbies in my life than going to restaurants, uh, because when that got taken away, I had nothing to do. But in reality, we did lose. So many of these ordinary things that we just expected to be there in our life. The opportunity to meet with a friend at a coffee shop or for lunch, uh, to socialize in the ways that we were used to, to go to a movie, to go to a sporting event, to go to a concert. And these things themselves may seem trivial, like things that we can live without, but the reality is those things facilitate relationship. They facilitate connection with our community. They facilitate Uh, expression of gift and passion which is something that God gives us and so they are not so trivial after all they are actually incredibly meaningful as a church I know uh, we are we are cousins as I'm at First Presbyterian just up the road but I know that we have shared together in the experience of loss as a worshiping community the opportunity to worship together as we are accustomed Uh, for a time we weren't worshiping together physically at all and and now that we are it's still a little bit strange isn't it and the ways in which we do it don't feel like the ways that we were uh, brought into our worshiping community we've lost some of the activities that were normal in our life as a church together we've lost uh, some of the most meaningful ways that our churches are serving in our local community and we have lost what could have been in, in the shared experience of serving the lord together in our community These are tremendous losses. Our losses are great. They're distressing, they warrant grief, they warrant weeping. We should not be surprised if we are depressed over these things. And so I ask you again, what have we lost? This is probably not hard for you to answer. Uh, There is uh, anywhere you could go on, on your magic telephone or on the computer or on the TV or just even in your own thoughts and you can discover um, a, a laundry list of what we have lost but maybe that brings us to the more significant question that we could reflect on pray on and ask ourselves this morning as we are guided by David's lament and how God receives him in that moment which is this what have you lost what have you lost in this year, in these 15 months, in this season. Maybe it's unique to the pandemic and the change of life that we've all had to experience collectively. And maybe it's something that would have happened with or without a global pandemic. What have you lost? Have you lost something or someone that in some way represented the order for your life, the continuity, the consistency, the structure, the expectations for how you are to live your life and possibly even the hope for what your life would bring. What have you lost? I'll give you an example. I'll tell you what I've lost. In March 2020, like every other minister in, the, in Washington State and in the U.S., I lost the opportunity uh, to do ministry the way that I felt God has called me, and I became a television preacher. And let me tell you, I hated that i became a television preacher which if i wanted to do that i would have done that already i didn't want to do that and i became that And i became a virtual minister i led small groups over zoom which some of you are probably familiar with at this point as well a tv preacher and a podcast producer all of those things were necessary activities that uh, would connect our community together and would give us some opportunity to try to disciple and encourage the college students that were in my charge, but I lost what I had gotten into ministry for. I had lost the opportunity to sit in a room and to hear stories and to share stories and to pray together, to encourage, to worship, and to, uh, and to grow. We canceled our spring break mission trip uh, two days before it was supposed to happen. Each quarter, I prayed and prayed and hoped and prayed and prayed again that we would see a change in the trends and that we would be able to meet together once again. And every quarter from spring quarter last year all the way through this full calendar year, that did not happen. I lost what I feel is 15 months of life with these people that God has asked me to shepherd. I also work for a company called Faithlife, which is based out of downtown Bellingham. We're a technology company that makes products for the church. In March 2020, my primary responsibilities were immediately thrown away, uh, and new ones were brought in because the world had dramatically changed. The new responsibilities that I had made sense uh, that I would have them, but I didn't know how to do them. I didn't know how to do the job that I had not applied for, had not been hired for, but suddenly was my job. I suddenly needed to learn a new one, and I was working from home without a team to help me. In March 2020, my son, uh, my firstborn son, was six months old. And though there was much to be gained about being home with my son, uh, which is a gift that I will uh, always be grateful for. We had so much community built into his life, through our church, through our ministry. My wife works at a ballet studio, and he was down there getting passed around, mommy to mommy, uh, five days a week. And all of this village that we had very intentionally built and surrounded our son Felix with was gone from his life for about half a year. When we went and visited family and Christmas, it was the first time we were indoors in somebody else's home, with our son. We lost six months, six very important months, and it put us in a position to parent in a way that we never expected to. Granted, we didn't really know what we were doing anyway. We were only six months in, Uh, but we were all of a sudden shaken, and through all of those collective experiences, I'll tell you what I lost. I lost my sense of confidence in my ability to do the things I needed to do in life. I didn't know how to do either of the jobs that I had. I didn't know how to be the parent that I suddenly needed to be. I didn't know, ne- know how to be the husband that I suddenly needed to be. All of the things that gave my life order and structure, consistency, uh, expectations for how to get through a day, a week, a month, a year, all of those things were suddenly gone. And what I found is I tried to push through and I kept getting discouraged and I kept Uh, failing and I kept trying to find hope in places that I I was just desperate for what I realized was that I do not have confidence in myself in a way that I did a year ago two years ago and it's been since realizing that it's been a slow process of asking God to sit with me in that to help me through that to encourage me through that to build that back up again and nevertheless, it's still gone. I still feel that I have lost my confidence. And so as much as we can recognize what we together have lost, I believe that as we see David in his loss, God would present us with this reflection for this morning. What have you lost? There are real things, real people, real activities, all of these things, but what does it represent to you that was taken from you unexpectedly? That has left you distressed. Now, today, it isn't my hope that we would just leave here wallowing in our distress, sweaty. <laughs> my hope for us is this that as we see David's lament in his time of loss, that we could see that the loss we feel is not just something to get through. It is not just something to get past as soon as possible to regain that sense of control and of power. It's not just a part of a process, but it is a process unto itself. It is the experience unto itself. It is the moment unto itself that God would intend for us to have it's very tempting it was very tempting even for me to share this lament today and skip right ahead to 2nd Samuel chapter 2 when David is appointed king and say but hey look everything turned out pretty good for David so therefore everything will work out pretty good for us first of all that's not the text that I was assigned but second of all that would be disingenuous to so many of our stories because for one thing that doesn't happen for all of us not in the way that we would see it happen for David And for another thing, it would probably disrupt, possibly dishonor even, what God intends and hopes for us when we enter our times of lament and our time of loss and distress. The great author Barbara Brown Taylor, if you've never read Barbara Brown Taylor, buy all of her books today. She has one called Learning to Walk in the Dark, and she writes this, I have learned things in the dark that I could never have learned in the light. Things that have saved my life over and over again, so that there is really only one logical conclusion. I need darkness as much as I need light. So church, I wonder this for us. What if in our times of lament and loss or darkness, God intends not to only bring a light at the end of the darkness, but to bring meaning to the darkness itself? What if he hopes that in that lament we will not just learn to wait on God, but to weep with God? What if, as much as he wants us to experience the hope of his light, he wants us to experience his presence in our darkness? Let's follow David's example. Let's bring our full selves, lament, distress, loss, depression, grief, weeping, and all, to the Lord. To weep with him, to lament with him, and to experience his presence in the darkness. Let's pray. Lord God, we call upon you with great gratitude because so many of us have experienced in our lives the truth of this moment, this scripture, God, that you are so with us in our darkness that we can see back into the time in our life when things seemed unimaginably uh, lament worthy unimaginably distressing that we were devastated and and through it all you sat with us through all of it and it wasn't just God that you provided a way out or that you provided uh, some sort of solution that God you weren't, in the, in, you weren't interested in fixing everything for us God but you were just interested and being with us so that we may experience it with you. God, I'm so grateful that this is the kind of God that you are. I'm so grateful, God, that you don't leave us and you don't rush us, but, God, that you are with us. So, God, as we bring to you today the the full and true and authentic outcry and outpour of our own hearts, God, I pray that we would experience what David experienced as he expressed his lament and so many others in our line of history and tradition, God. That you would meet us, that you would sit with us, that you would weep with us, that you would grieve with us, and that would be what brings meaning to these dark spaces. God, we love you. We trust that you are with us. We hope that you will be with us uh, forevermore. And God, we offer all of our prayers to you uh, in Jesus' name. Amen.